From Ward C on Shutter Island, it's the IGN Digiguys. Please welcome the man who knew too much and the man who knew too little, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Mixing up the Scorsese and the Hitchcock there. Uh, that's a cool intro. Corey, which one of our clever listeners sent that one in, please? That was brought to you by the know-it-all Chris Boyd. Well, he knows his stuff. He made fun of you because you're an ass. Oh. I'm a what? I'm an ass blibble. It, it's, that's what we use instead of a bleep now. That was I, one of Corey's funny noises. I like that. That's funny, right? Although I don't like the fact that in this scenario, I'm going to assume that I'm the man who knew too little. Oh, well. That's it's not fair. Your lack of self-esteem. <laughs> Me? <laughs> lack of self-esteem? Single at my age? What are you talking about? My goodness, we just sat through a horrible movie. We did. We sat through Sherlock Holmes 2, and uh, we didn't like G- it. Game of Shadows. It's a game of shadows. Actually, it's a game of uh, trying to keep up with the plot. Actually, it's, it's a game of wondering how... You know what? You know, we were talking before about how these movies have become so uh, just loud and dark and not fun. No, They're just heavy. not that much fun. Too much cutting, too much flipping back and forth between the slow motion and the fast well, motion. That's, even the, guy, that's Guy Ritchie. Even that thing where, like, where, where, which, you, which, which you liked, I guess, when... When, she, when he's thinking when, through everything, the the, pre, the premonitional. I like that at the end. See, at the end, when yeah. when he's sizing too much up, of that in this. when he's sizing up Moriarty and Moriarty yeah. sizing up him, I bought it there. That yeah. makes sense there. Yeah. But the other fifteen times, it just seems like whatever. Uh. I, it's I, I didn't like it. Well, anyway, before we, we segue from Sherlock Holmes, we should talk a little bit about our Lafka voting, which uh, by now everybody is aware of. That was. Um, so that our listeners understand that it's not like, you know, it's funny because when you read the news reports, the press releases, I'm sure it's like this for, for anything, you know, whether you're a politician or a movie star or whatever. But you, you read in the news, oh, the L.A. film critics uh, stepped outside the norm and decided to blah, 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 didn't give anything to the artist. But it's a tree of light. Terrence Matt. It makes it sound like we're so freaking legit. If they, like they, if they had cameras in the room. Uh, truly, it's like it's like it's like school children. We are a bunch of kids. We're just like a bunch of kids. We're just a bunch of idiots. And, and it was just so it was like clickish and unpleasant. And I really didn't like this vote. I didn't. I just it was very unpleasant. Yeah. Well, you know, when when you look at the actual rundown of winners, it's it's a respectable list. I just didn't like the way we got there. It was it was yeah. It was not cool getting there. And you could tell nobody was happy with how we got there or where we got. They just weren't like there. There, there was no. You know, there were there have been votes in previous years where everybody was like, "Yay!" Like you remember, there was a it was the tie between uh, the best actor tie between Daniel Day Lewis and oh, that might have that was before I got there. It was Jack Nicholson and Daniel Day Lewis? Was it? Was it for Nicholson? You mean for Bout Schmidt? I can't remember what it was, but there was there was a tie. Anyway, I mean, we've had a number of, and I remember on a couple of occasions with those ties, everybody was like, "Yay!" There was applause in the room and camaraderie, and people are patting each other on the back and shaking hands. This just felt angry. Like I hate your movie and you hate my movie and I hate you and it just it just felt hostile. Well, the thing Didn't is that there all. is that there are some uh, eccentricities to our voting process that uh, I think kind of came to the fore this year. Oh, you're thinking? Are you thinking of when um, Sasha Baron Cohen tied with uh, Forrest Whitaker? No, that was a cool one too. Everybody was thrilled with that, but there was another one with Daniel Day Lewis earlier and, uh, or later. 
I think it was, it was earlier. Because we was, gave Daniel Day-Lewis Best Actor for There Will Be Blood, but, but uh, he, it wasn't No, we gave, we gave it to him for something else, too. It was like My Left Foot or something? Like it, no, it, it, was, it, like, it was something before I joined the group, I'd like, imagine, It was like right? the year of a, a, a Gangs of New York and about Schmidt or something like that. It's about sort of, Schmidt was like 2002. Yeah, that's probably it. Um, well, anyway. You no, know, here it is. Jack Nicholson about Schmidt and Daniel Day-Lewis, Gangs of New York. Yeah, that's, that's a tie. that was it. And that was like, that was like there were cheers in the room when that happened. Yeah, you know why? Because they wanted, because then, <laughs> then they get Nicholson and Daniel Day-Lewis to show up to the dinner. And Daniel Day-Lewis was so gracious. He went up and he said, I can't believe that I'm here with one of the great... Thespians of old time right here below me and he just kind of put his hand out in a very gracious English gesture and Jack Nicholson just sat there with the sunglasses on and grinned and it was He like, had the sunglasses on? He had the sunglasses on. It was a great moment. And and, and how was Jack's certain, speech? It's, it's very funny because a certain friend of ours was in town from England. Yes. And uh, came with me to that awards dinner and actually <laughs> he tried to he tried to get Jack's uh, autograph at the end of the show and cuz Jack was moving so fast to just get out of there and he's like I'm trying to get out the door, if you don't mind, please. It was, really? Yeah, it was really funny. He was like, he was, it was, it was, ooh, it was an awkward moment. Wow. <laughs> Jack. How was Jack's speech? Uh, I don't remember. He's probably drunk. Uh, I don't remember. I have no recollection of that thing other than a few of these little anecdotes. And don't forget, by the time uh, most people listen to this, the yes. Golden Globes will have already announced and their the SAG, And the SAG Awards. The SAGs are tomorrow and it's whatever just, it is. It's out of control. I don't know why anyone cares anymore. Well, they we're, have to we're, get... we're already obsolete. We're old hat. We're done. We had 24 hours. We did. That's what we, you know what? We had 24 <laughs> hours. I enjoy it. I enjoy you know, your Facebook. You tell your family. You, you email links to your family so that they realize that for one brief shining moment, people give a crap what I think about anything. And then they go back to obscurity. <laughs> it's all over. Oh, my gosh. And there it is. Well, speaking of Sherlock Holmes, now that we screwed up that segue completely, you know, there's a, uh, we're going to start off on our on our Blu-rays and our DVDs right now. There's a, uh, a Kino release this week, a couple of silent films from Kino, and uh, the most interesting one, if not the best one, but certainly the most interesting one, is long forgotten. This is a 1922 silent, and silent films are all the rage again now. Remember, thanks to the artist and Hugo, and uh, you know, it's it's like it's cool to like silent films again. Uh, this was from 1922, 85-minute-long Sherlock Holmes, starring John Barrymore, who is really a good-looking Sherlock Holmes. Um, you know, the Barrymores were legends already in the silent screen and uh, the, and the uh, stage at the time of silent films, and, of course, uh, went on to have some degree of success in the uh, early talkies in the 30s. And uh, we now have, uh, is it, it's John Barrymore's great-granddaughter, Drew. Drew's from John, right? Yes, although did you hear what happened to Cary Grant's um, grandson? No. So Cary Grant's grandson oh, was uh, arrested and is serving some time oh, for shining a laser pointer at, an, oh, at a I helicopter. Oh, I did hear that. I did hear that. Uh, he, he, you know what? No, 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 no. That's, uh, was that Cary Grant's? Or, or is no? that? No, no, that's, that's, uh, that's uh, Clark Gables. Oh, that's right, Clark that's Gables. Clark Gables. No, I know that story. Clark Gables' grandson. Yeah. Shined I, a laser I, pointer at a helicopter. I, I actually... I actually have had some contact with him when he was younger because, believe it or not, um, his mom's brothers are good friends of mine. You mean the grandson's mother? So Cary yes. Grant's mother. No, 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 no. Clark Gable. I mean, God darn it. Yes. Clark, Clark Gable's, Gable's mother. Clark Gable's son married into a family that I grew up with. The actual Clark Gable. The, his son. The, the son of the actual the Clark fa- Gable. The father of this kid. The father of the kid. The father of the kid. Grew, hang on. I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping my head around this. Okay. 
this kid has parents. Okay. Are we, are we clear so on that? So it's not some sort of like immaculate uh, <laughs> no, no. Okay. This guy's got parents. His right. dad is Clark Gable's son. Got it. His mom is from a family that I know very, very well. Got it. So, you know, I, I remember him when he was a sweet young kid. I don't know what happened to him and, since. And now he's, well, now he's, uh, he's uh, serving time for pointing a laser at a helicopter. Which is silly, actually. What an you idiot, know. honestly. Yeah, but seriously, is that what you put someone in jail for? Yes, laser? Well, yes, because okay. you can crash the helicopter. <laughs> okay, well, I guess. But geez. Well, what really? kind of douchebag would do that? <laughs> dude, I'm so cool, dude. Watch, dude. Look at this laser. It's going to be awesome, dude. Oh, my God. The laser is going to be messed up, dude. It's unbelievable. I can't believe how cool I am. No, yeah, well, anyway. Dude, I want some pot. Brilliant. Uh, so, anyway, this is uh, John Barrymore doing the uh, Sherlock Holmes thing. There are n- not a lot by way of extras here, but uh, it is quite nicely done. Kino, through their alliance with Kino, with uh, Lorber Films, uh, under the Kino Lorber panel, uh, did a great job nicely transferring it's a it's a really really sharp uh, blu-ray transfer worthwhile part of the the Holmes lore and then we also have now how about Holmes and yo-yo different Holmes entirely when is home when when is Holmes and yo-yo coming out on blu-ray Wade Mr. I know everything Mr. I, the man who knew too much versus the man who knew too, knew too little I can't believe it uh, Buster Keaton, Seven Chances on uh, Blu-ray and on DVD. Highly recommended on the Blu-ray because all the Keaton stuff is coming out on Blu-ray from Kino. It's looking really sweet, really sweet. Um, Ken Gordon and Bruce Lawton do an audio commentary on this, which is pretty great. And uh, you, in addition to Seven Chances, which is really one of the, I think, the more underrated and incredibly charming uh, Keaton films uh, from 1925, you also get... A Brideless Groom, which is a Three Stooges short from uh, 1947. And then How a French Nobleman Got a Wife Through the New York Herald Personal Columns. That has got to be the longest title of any film ever. That's a 1904 uh, film uh, done by Edwin S. Porter for Edison. I'm going to read that. How a French Nobleman Got a Wife Through the New York Herald Personal Columns. They should do a remake of that, don't you think? Well, instead of the New York Herald Personal Columns, yes. you know what they have now? What do they have now? Match.com. Exactly. Uh, a bunch of other stuff. There's also a little thing on the Technicolor sequences in this, which is uh, or the, the single Technicolor sequence, uh, second Technicolor shots. Uh, which is pretty cool, and uh, a great Robert Israel, uh, un- totally lossless score, which is really fabulous. So this is uh, straight from the Library of Congress uh, elements, and it is gorgeous. It is really, really gorgeous. Now, the uh, Brideless Groom, the uh, Three Stooges short, um, actually sort of dovetails with this. It uses one of the devices from the film, so that's the reason it's on here. It's not just that they said, let's put a random Three Stooges short on. No, there's actually a reason for it. Um, speaking of which, my gosh, that Farrelly Brothers film looks horrible oh the three stooges oh my gosh that looks bad it just it, it kills me that you know they've been wanting to make that film for a very very long time so you figure it'll never be good but at least maybe it'll be a noble failure but you look at the trailer and it just looks like a non-starter it looks like another stupid fairly brothers it movie. looks like the kind of thing where if I, I honestly i don't know why people don't do this if i had been the studio chief if only and i'd seen the first day's dailies pull the plug right then and there you just don't finish that that's it you're done Assuming that you even were stupid enough to greenlight the screenplay, but you just see those dailies and you just go, you know what? Sorry, this is we're going to pull the plug on this. There is no making this money back. There's no, there's no I, I, I just, way. Do you think that movie costs more than twenty five million dollars? Oh yeah, hell yeah, it's absolutely. Fun. I got to find out how much oh, that thing cost. Disaster. Hang on, hang on. Oh, uh, it says here. Well, it's according to Wikipedia, so I don't know how uh, accurate this is. Thirty million dollars. Told you. 
Thirty million dollars. Oh, I wasn't that far off. At least it wasn't like eighty. No, but that's still too much money. Oh yeah, way too much. Uh, Tree of foreign films here, just to blow through real quickly, and then we're going to jump into television, and then uh, new films, and then uh, wrap out with whatever else we got lying around. Some music. Not Criterion way. Criterion. We I got know. Big, we got the Hangover. The new Hangover. We got, we got, some, got some TV to blow through. Got to blow through the big TV because sure. you, you got that. You love this friggin' yes, thing. Yes, I yeah. do. Um, Point Blank, which is a French film uh, by Fred Cavalier. Got to tell you, this really just—I uh, don't know. It, it, I find it to be a one of those French films that wants to be an American action film, and um, a little bit disappointed in it. This was uh, released by Magnolia here, and it's—I got it here on Blu-ray. Um, you know, it the. the, the the whole French thriller genre took a bit of a twist with the... Um, Not Cachet, the other one, uh, the, the uh, other Tell one. No One. Tell No One. And Tell No One has now spawned all these kinds of things. They're all sort of like Tell No One knockoffs, and this is one of them. But, I mean, it's, I, it's, it's decent. It's decently made, but ultimately disappointing. And then uh, this I found interesting because I never expected this to show up on Blu-ray. Um, uh, Pasolini, the uh, late Italian director who made such things as Salo and the uh, Gospel According to St. Matthew, two completely different films. Uh, Pasolini considered one of the great uh, Italian directors of the, uh, you know, 60s, the, the, that era, the 60s era primarily. Um, in the late 60s, 1969, he made uh, Medea starring Maria Callas. And uh, it's a it's a stylish and peculiar and odd film. It's the only film that uh, Maria Callas ever made as an actress. Remember, she is a, an opera legend. And uh, it's I still don't really know what I think of this. It's it's all it's full of all of those extreme Pasolini obsessions, all of those uh, conflicted religious and moral issues. It, it is. Fascinating! It is a beautiful Blu-ray. I'm surprised how good it is, considering that the elements probably shouldn't be in that good condition. Um, and uh, E1 did a pretty decent job of this. But you know, again, the problem is it's Medea, and I'm just not—I'm not that heavily into Medea, regardless of how well it's made. So I kind of wind up semi-liking this in spite of myself. And uh, then lastly, a movie that I'm enormously disappointed in. This is Detective D and the Mystery of the Phantom Flame. Um, Detective D is a kind of a legendary literary figure uh, in Hong Kong and in China. And they went up and threw together a big old whiz-bang martial artsy uh, Detective D movie directed by Choi Huck. And uh, Choi Huck has just not had it going on for, I don't know, 15 years now. It's just, it's been a long time since he's really done anything good, either in Hollywood or in Hong Kong. And this is just, this is a lot of excess, and it's really convoluted. And they're trying, obviously, to do, speaking of Sherlock Holmes at the top of the show, they're trying to do kind of the same thing with Detective D that they did with Sherlock Holmes by resurrecting it as a, some kind of an action uh, franchise, and none of it makes any sense. The whole thing is really overwrought, and too many special effects, and a very convoluted plot, and, uh, uh, you know, Detective D isn't really a detective. He's more of like a, like a judge. He's an officer of the court, but that doesn't make any difference here. Um, the martial arts are even convoluted, which is sad, because Sammo Hung did the choreography, and Sammo usually just nails it in these films. Like, he nailed it in the two Ip Man films, and it's, it's really not even that good here. But Sammo's got to be in his mid-50s, don't you think? How old Sammo? You think he's in his mid-50s? He's in mid-50s. Look it up on Wikipedia. 
that always has correct ages because it says that, uh, for example, Charlize Theron is 36. How old is she? <laughs> she's so in her 40s, dude. Oh, is she? Oh, she's so in her 40s. Look on Wikipedia. It also says that uh, uh, Angelina Jolie is like 36. What is... Uh, they, they, I just... I don't know how they... I mean, I, I understand. It's, it's ageism, you know, and they're trying to maintain their careers and keep convince people that they're under 40 as long as they can. But Angelina Jolie is about 41. Well, uh, IMDb says Charlize Theron is, uh, was born in 75. So wrong. So wait, 75, so wrong. 85, 95, 2005, 36. It's so wrong. It's just so beyond. That's so such a lie. <laughs> it's just not even. I'll tell you, if, it's if, not even close. If Charlize Theron is is forty or above, she's yes. looking pretty. She's about forty two. Is my guess. Really? Yeah, that's my guess. There's no way that she's thirty. There's no way that she and Angelina Jolie are in their thirties. Not even close. That puts them around the same age as Reese Witherspoon. I'm sorry, no. Okay, now Reese Witherspoon can't lie about her age because she's she was a kid actress, you know. But Charlize Theron came over here from South Africa. She was probably about 26. But sure, nobody knows when she was born. She could say, hi, I'm 21. She was 26. She looked 21. You know, fine. Well, so you believe that Reese Witherspoon is 35? She is absolutely 35. Okay. Because I interviewed her when she was 14. Right. She, and she was 14. So, I mean, you, she can't run away. She was, a, she was a child actress. So, I mean, that's, you know, kind of, you're, you're locked into that. But, you know. And Angelina Jolie, it's not, that's not even a secret. I mean, I know people who went to school with her. Her graduation date should be easily obtainable. She's Beverly Hills High School. Come on. She's, not, she's, she's like 40 or 41. It's, it's absurd. Don't be jealous. Silly nonsense. I, you know what? I, I, don't, I, I don't get it. We've talked about this. Yeah, I, don't, I don't understand her. I, I don't get it. Don't yeah, get well. it. She's not attractive to me. I mean, I guess she's beautiful, but I, I just don't get it. Uh, I, she, she, she's too scary. Okay, she, tell me why I should like this show again. Uh, I love the Family Guy. Although I have to say that season nine, um, it was not a great season for Family Guy. Not my favorite season, but I still do love the show, and I love it like I used to love The Simpsons, even though it's slowing down. Uh, and this one has some good episodes. Um, the Halloween episode is pretty good. Um, Road to the North Pole is good. Um, German Guy, not a good. Actually, you know, a German Guy is probably one of the worst episodes of the series, if you ask mm-hmm. me. Um, and it's a trap is on here, which is when uh, Peter retells the story of uh, Return of the Jedi. So there are some good stuff. There, there are some good episodes, even though season nine is not that great. Uh, special features include a commentary on some of the episodes, deleted scenes, animatics, which are always useless. Now, this one, um, this one contains extended episodes never seen on TV. This is uncensored, which means that they don't bleep the bad words. Mm-hmm. And there's some. It's funny, like instead of having more deleted scenes as in as a bonus they just reincorporate some of the deleted scenes into the episode and then it becomes an extended episode so you know i mean i guess there's something there so i love family guy again not the best season but i love it and i want it and it's mine give it to me fabulosity thank you uh i'm gonna blow through four uh, vintage tv uh, seasonal releases here one is uh, the first season of the courtship of eddie's father uh, this show kind of semi-spun off from the uh, Vincent Minnelli-directed movie that was a big hit, uh, which the movie was in 1963, and then uh, around about 1969, they uh, they kicked this into a TV series, which really had nothing to do with the movie. Um, very little. Uh, just It kind of was much more in, in vain with all those single-parent shows. And a lot of people don't realize this, but divorce was becoming such kind of a... 
it was becoming a much more, I don't want to say accepted, but it was more of a reality in American life in the 60s. It wasn't something that people ran away from. And television really tackled that. And that's why you wind up with Courtship of Eddie's father. You wind up with two single parents in the Brady Bunch. You wind up with a single dad in Family Affair. You know, and you can go on and on and on and on. I mean, television was inundated with single parents. and uh, Gilligan. Exactly. He was single. Uh, 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 the, the Skipper, single. Yeah, totally. Professor, single. Uh-huh. Marianne, single. Yeah, thank you. Ginger, single. Oh my gosh, I want a new co-host. <laughs> yeah, the, the only two who were married on that show were the were the uh, yes. the Jim Backus no, and no the, 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 the woman, There's huh? No, no children. There's no children. Oh, they didn't have children. Oh, I get it. So yeah. it's, it's ghost and Mrs. Muir. She's a single mom. The ghost, single. Ghost isn't married. So anyway, a lot of single parents on TV at the time, and uh, of course, but Poor his father, Bill Poor Bixby. Wade. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Saddled with me. This was this was the man uh, who knew too little. This was Bill Bixby coming right off of uh, My Favorite Martian, which I much prefer. Uh, so this is what he did between My Favorite Martian and The Incredible Hulk. Yes, he was caring for a Martian, then he, did, then he raised a little kid, and then he turned green, turned into Lou Ferrigno. Uh, but anyway, the first season is, uh, is you know, I vaguely, vaguely remember the general run of the show. So watching some of the episodes in the first season uh, kind of brought it back. And it's a, it's a decent enough show. It's uh, nothing spectacular, but it has a certain nostalgic feel to it. 28 episodes here. And um, uh, Jodie Foster even shows up on here. This was one of her first things. She's very, very young at the time. Really? So that was that was a nice surprise. I didn't expect that. And then uh, the Jetsons season two, volume two. Uh, I don't know why they keep breaking this up into individual it's the seasons. Jetsons, it's just the Jetsons. Them. I know. Come on. Yeah, this, it, but it's, it's there's a lot here. Twenty episodes on three discs. But it's you know it's the Jetsons. What am I going to do? Nail it and talk about each episode individually. It is what it is. Uh, and then Hawaii Five O, the eleventh season. This is the second to the last season. Man, is this thing running on fumes? Uh, it really it it just doesn't. It feels. Feels tired. There were uh, there were over, there were a dozen seasons of Hawaii Five freaking O. Yeah, I know. That just seems an, an enormously long run for that show. It, you know what? It was really good through about nine and a half seasons, and it was around the tenth season when it really started to kind of feel creaky. And well, you that's tell, good though. That, I mean, that, that that's a good run. If you can go nine run. seasons and still be fresh, it's a good run. I mean, I mean look mean, at Mash. Mash did yeah. over that. It was it nine and a half. It was it was right around that time that it started to feel old, and then it was about the last two and a half seasons just kind of on fumes. And uh, it, it, you know, you could tell everybody was just kind of phoning it in. And then the official fifth season of the Lucy Show. Wow, man, I love Lucy. Uh, I really do, and I love I love Lucy uh, a lot. But you better not love this show. I just I, the, the, by the time you get around to the fifth season of the Lucy Show, it is just tired shtick piled on top of tired shtick, and uh, Lucy and Gail Gordon really trying to look younger than they are and maintain the energy, and it's just not working. Uh, it's a very, very tired show at this point as well. Obviously, some nostalgic qualities to it that people will love. Um, the one thing that's nice on here is there's a clip from the Victor Borga Comedy Theater, which is always nice. Victor Borga is terrific. Uh, some stuff from the Emmy Awards and various other television clips and bloopers. Uh, you know, so for Lucy fans and nostalgia buffs, I guess it's decent. Wade, what's also decent is uh, The Simpsons, the 14th season. Now, unlike Family Guy which continues to release their uh, season sets on DVD. The Simpsons has been releasing their season sets on Blu-ray for a couple seasons now. And, um, and they look good. And they look, to, well, I mean, they, they, they look flawless. Uh, they look not. They look flawless. They look yeah. great. Uh, 14th season, you know, um, I don't know what to say. You know, this show, it's funny because the, 
the 14th season was in 2002. This show is so old that the 14th season was in, ran in it's 2002. It's on the verge of becoming the longest running primetime show ever. ever. Yes, that's it's, correct. It's getting pretty close. It's going to eclipse. What, is Gunsmoke still in there? Is there Gun, something? Gun, Gunsmoke ran for like 24, 20 26 seasons, yeah. something like that. Yeah. So Simpsons has a while to go. But uh, you know what? It's such a cash cow. I can't imagine them ever canceling it. Um, now, this one did win a bunch of uh, Emmys, primetime Emmys, including uh, Three Gays of the Condor, which was like, Actually, kind of funny. And uh, Hank Azari won an Emmy for voiceover performance um, during the season. Also, this was the season when they aired their 300th episode. So that's kind of a milestone. So, you know, there's, uh, the, the show became – the show obviously way past its prime in 2002. Uh, imagine now. That being said, there's still great episodes. That, you know, it's still worth a chuckle or two, you know, but there's definitely, sure. more, there's definitely more duds. Like the, the, uh, the Treehouse of Horror for, the, for yeah. season 14 – it's like one of the worst. Oh, uh, well. It's, it's hard to maintain that stuff, the Treehouse of Horror stuff. It's hard to maintain the show because now what you have is you have, you have writers who grew up on The Simpsons I know. writing for The Simpsons. Got a couple of uh, all-female casts here for these next two uh, TV shows. Very, very different ones. Uh, the first one is Designing Women. This is the complete fifth season of Designing Women, which I watched intermittently at the time, and I still find it uh, kind of sort of enjoyable. It's not terribly well written. This is one of those, uh, you know, Linda Bloodworth Thomason shows from the era uh, back in the 80s and early 90s. Uh, it's not terribly well written, but you know what? It sustains because it's just got four terrific actresses in the cast. Delta Burke, Dixie Carter, Annie Potts, and Gene Smart. Annie Potts, of course, kind of soared to uh, huge popularity just before the show went on the air because she was in Ghostbusters. And uh, the the late Dixie Carter, of course, uh, married to Hal Holbrook, and that was a wonderful romance, and it's just so sad that she's gone. But uh, this show really uh, had a nice little nice little thing going, and uh, season five is just, you know, run of the mill. It's the same, same routine, the same, all the same southern quips, and it's like, uh, you know, the, uh, the Golden Girls, except not as, uh, they don't wear Depends yet. And then the other all-female cast is the reality show The Real L Word, the second season from Showtime. Uh, this is basically, you know, a reality show about uh, hot lesbians in Los Angeles. And uh, the funny thing is, I know I know a lot of gay women. I don't know any gay women that watch this show. I know a lot of straight men. They all watch this show. Oh, of course. So <laughs> what does that tell you? Uh, it tells you that the show exists for... <laughs> exactly. Titillation. Straight men. That's right. Um... Anyway, the other interesting thing here is like all these Showtime and a lot of these HBO things, and in fact, a lot of these CBS Paramount releases, the special features are all about cross-promoting. Uh, it nothing to do with this show. It's all about cross-promoting other shows. This is the first two episodes of the miniseries, The Borgias. Like, how does that tie in with the real L word? You know how much? You know what? How much disc space does it take to give you two episodes of The Borgias? And maybe. If Give me something that, to do with the show. You know what? If fifty thousand people buy that DVD and 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 five hundred, you know, sample the Borgias and then watched on TV, then uh, yeah, Showtime sure. wins. Uh, I guess. Uh, the complete sixth season of Spin City is also available. I didn't like this show when it was Michael J. Fox, and I and I don't like it. I didn't like it when it was uh, Charlie Sheen, who uh, returned for his second season as uh, Deputy Mayor Charlie Crawford. You want You know why I hate sitcoms? I don't like sitcoms that make the um, that make the name of the characters the, the first name of the character is the first name of the actor playing the character. I don't like that. Like in Spin City, Charlie's name yeah is Charlie. Charlie. Is Charlie? Yeah. I don't like when they do that. That's the same as on uh, Two and a Half Men. Yeah. Charlie. Too. I don't like that. Now I know why they do that. Okay. Because 
somehow by saying the actor's real name, the audience feels a certain intimacy as if they're really talking to the actor. I mean, that, that's, that, that goes all the way back to I Love Lucy. You realize that. I understand that. That's where that began. Yes, but it, it creates a false sense of intimacy. Okay. As if, you know, you're really talking to Charlie if everyone calls him Charlie. As opposed to like Alan Alda, yeah. Hawkeye Pierce. <laughs> okay. That's it, Hawkeye Pierce. I hear you. Anyway, uh, Spin City, uh, whatever. I mean, honestly, come on. Okay. That's enough. Yeah, fine. Uh, Switch to Birth is a new show on ABC Family, which has been getting all kinds of crazy attention, and I'm not entirely sure why. Uh, Heavily publicized, heavily promoted, and I've been getting emails like mad about this thing. It's uh, starting a new season shortly, so I guess, okay, fine. Um, You know, the the actresses in this thing are very appealing, but I... uh, the whole genetics, the, the, like the switcheroo, you know, my family, your family, genetically uh, belonging to different parents, switched to birth, that whole thing. Um, I don't know that it makes for consistently interesting week after week dramatic television. It would have made for an interesting miniseries, an interesting TV movie, but week after week after week... I, you watch three or four of these episodes, it's like, I, okay, I get it, and I'm kind of tired of it already. The actresses are good. I wish they had more to do. Uh, but anyway, they're uh, you know really working it and trying to make some kind of a you know two families forced together by a tragedy that they make the best of, and life becomes wonderful, and it's serendipitously turning tragedy into wonderfulness, just like real life. Exactly. Uh, and then we also have Pee Wee Herman on Broadway. Uh, this is HBO. This is, uh, you know, the resurrection of the Pee Wee Herman show, which was really fascinating to me that after all of the troubles that Paul Rubens had and then Pee Wee, you know, with the whole masturbation in the adult theater thing and getting arrested and the mugshot with the long hair and then the show was canceled and, you know, then his career was shot and Pee Wee was history and no more Pee Wee Herman movies and then he shows up, you know, in a few Tim Burton films and a few other weird off appearances. And then suddenly, he's back as Pee-wee. And he's like in his 50s. He has nothing else to do. He, but, he, he was on tour. He, there was a stage but production. The, but the fact that this thing actually suddenly took off again, that it's a phenomenon all over again, and he's now making appearances as Pee-wee all over again, I mean, it's kind of, you know... I mean, it's, it's strange to me. It's peculiar. But anyway, this is the, uh, an HBO special. It's got a commentary track with uh, Paul Rubens in the cast. And, uh, you know, it's cute. Not, not brilliant or anything. If you've seen the show on, you know, the original series on Saturday mornings, it's pretty much the same deal. And uh, then we've got the uh, Clone Wars, the complete season three. This is that animated thing that I just find to be completely horrible and unwatchable. Uh, and I, I can't. I, I can't. It's on Blu-ray and it's just, it's whatever. Uh, this is strictly for people who are so obsessed with Star Wars that they just, they're willing to tolerate any level of art, artistic just debauchery uh, in order to just see something that looks like a, a stormtrooper or a Wookiee or whatever. It's just, it's just terrible. Uh, Lucasfilm Animation does this, and uh, that would be Lucasfilm Animation that was created after he sold the original Lucasfilm Animation, which then became Pixar. Big mistake, George. Uh, stupid some, George. Stupid George, some businessman you are. But uh, this is his new uh, Lucasfilm Animation, and it's just terrible. It's horrible. 22 episodes, and they got featurettes and stuff, and the, the Blu-ray just makes it even worse. You just realize how much worse the animation is. Speaking of uh, terrible and horrible, uh, the second season of The League is now on Blu-ray. And, uh, you know, this is a show about uh, – it's a very man-centric show because it's about uh, rotisserie of football. 
The weird part about this show, and the reason why I wish it was funnier, is the cast. Now, Nick Kroll is a very funny comic. Like Nick Kroll a lot. Wade's a big fan of the Nick Kroll. Sure. Exactly. I guess. Why not? Uh, exactly. Uh, but the weirdest casting is the star, Mark Duplass. Now, Mark Duplass is a mumblecore director. Mark Duplass is a director. He directed films like uh, Baghead. Yeah, and uh, The Puppy Chair. Chair. Mm-hmm. And uh, he dire- you know what? He directed um, Cyrus. You know, the Jonah Hill, sure. John C. Riley thing, Marissa Tomei? Sure. I mean, the guy's a director. He's a writer-director. Sure. That's what yeah. he does. Yeah. And somehow, for some reason, he stars on The League. It's weird. So it's a weird cast, and it kind of... Uh, and Jeff Goldblum's in this, too. He's, he did a couple episodes, I and that's, that's kind of... I know, he's awesome. Um, you know, Terry Bradshaw was in it, and, you know, uh, Antonio Gates from the Chargers. You know, this is all season one stuff. But um, somehow I don't find the show all that, all, all that funny. Maybe because I... I, I think this is why I don't find the show funny. I have come to a decision. It's, it's a momentous decision. Yes. Uh, except for baseball, mm-hmm. I don't like sports. Okay. I don't. I well, just don't know what it is. I like sports. You know, do you know what I learned the other day? That the uh, Green Bay Packers are undefeated. <laughs> Didn't even know that. No clue. Uh, and, oh, and Tim Tebow? Yeah, I just found out about I, him. I guess he was, he was terrible, and now he's good. Or, 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 and he's or maybe like the other way around. Something like that. But I think the other thing about Tim Tebow is that he's, uh, he's really hyper-religious, and uh, his parents were missionaries, and his mom could have had an abortion and didn't, and uh, he, he's the result, and now he's going to possibly take them to the Super Bowl and beyond. Well, that's why, that's why every single snap of Tim Tebow's career is automatically at the top of the Drudge Report. <laughs> okay, because you know he's uh, he's he's guy's got a bunch of pandering to do. Yeah. Oh Wade, what happened to Cowboys and Aliens? Oh my gosh! As Did we, this, uh, you know what? As we segue to movies, it's it, this this film was a big catastrophe. Uh, everybody had a lot of hopes pinned on this thing, and I'll tell you, I didn't mind the first hour of the movie. I really thought the first hour had some interesting stuff going on. It was, uh, you know, it's not quite steampunk, but it tr- it sort of aspires to some of the same irony that's part of steampunk. Uh, but then it just once once the aliens started bouncing around and they're infiltrating their way into the fumbot the fembot lair, and it just it got goofy and it just stupid. you know what the problem is with this movie is that it's it's just it's just product. It's just a ultimately it's just it a is, widget yeah. movie. You know, it doesn't. Sure, it's got. It's got the same sugar rush as eating a candy bar. It's the same empty calories as a candy bar. Candy bar tastes fine, and yeah. you get it. Yeah. But then it's nothing. It's just nothing. It's just so bad. It's just, you know, Harrison Ford, this, you know, I, I go off a lot on Harrison Ford. I'm completely over him. And But this is the type of movie, if this movie was good, this was the type of movie he should be doing. It's a, it's a bit of a supporting part. But it's in a, it's in in theory a cool yeah. movie, that's not just him saying you know give me back my son. It's an actual interesting cool part in a fanboyish movie, but the movie's terrible and yeah. he's not good in it. No, you know he's I, not. I he's not he's 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 trying too hard, and you can't I, I can't get a handle on his character and I just didn't like this movie at all. It's just yeah. it's, just, it's just product. It's just yeah. bad. I agree. Um, you know, an interesting Fox film uh, that I don't particularly care for, but I do give uh, uh, Britt Martling, the lead actress, uh, a lot of credit for taking something that should be totally formulaic and familiar and actually making it feel more interesting, uh, is Another Earth, which was a big hit at Sundance. It won an award at Sundance, a special jury prize. 
And here's the thing. Another Earth is sort of like, we've all seen those movies about somebody who's committed some horrible wrong against another human being. And then they, uh, you know, they've like, they, they're a drunk driver or, you're a, or a drug user or whatever. And you wind up, you know, killing somebody. And then the family that you wronged, you insinuate yourself into their lives anonymously, hoping to try and uh, make amends. And then the film kind of, you know, skips along as they all become really good friends till that big reveal moment, the big Tootsie moment at the end when the uh, the family or whoever discovers, like, oh, my gosh, you, it's you, I hate you, you ruined my life. And then you have to sort of earn the redemption all over again. We've seen that a thousand times. It's all, it's been on TV, it's been in numerous movies. That's all this is. The only thing that makes it different is that it has this weird little quasi-Tarkovsky-Solaris-light uh, subplot where, while all of this is transpiring, a doppelganger Earth has appeared in the sky and is moving closer to the Earth. And it's literally, it's, it's as though everyone's lives are mirrored on this other Earth and no one quite knows what the existential implications are because is it going to collide? Is it going to be the end of civilization? What is going to happen when the other Earth finally moves into the orbit of the real earth and you know, whatever it's well because it, it, it's like melancholia where the whole point yeah, is it's, it's way more it's way more metaphorical i guess it, it, it look basically it's like just an average movie made on a shoestring by people who know how to use adobe after effects to to put a earth in the sky uh that being said uh, our good friend ray green loves this movie and so does claudia puig who uh i adore so um, I give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe if you share their tastes and you don't share mine, you'll enjoy it. It's got a music video on it. It's got some uh, some uh, interesting featurettes that I actually think are almost more interesting than the movie. And then a thing from the Fox Movie Channel. And uh, there it is. That's it. It's on Blu-ray. Uh, it doesn't need to be on Blu-ray. It's a low-budget film, and it looks just as good on DVD. But, uh, you know, uh, there it is. It's available. Also available uh, on Blu-ray... And also the ultraviolet digital copy is a Hangover Two. Now I was not a fan of Hangover One. I'm the only one, uh, and so therefore I was really not a fan of Hangover Two. And the problem with Hangover Two is that it was just a carbon copy of One. They really did nothing to expand any of the characters. They did nothing to expand any of the story. It was almost like they knew that their wheelhouse fan was some you know idiot. 25-year-old who just wants to see the same thing over again because otherwise it would tax his tiny 25-year-old brain. So they gave him the same they, they gave him the same story. They yeah. gave him the same exact movie except this one was you know it was a little bit raunchier and it was a little bit uglier but which in the end is just you're just seeing the same movie again. I just don't get it. And you know what's funny if if you look at the um Special features. Yeah. Here at the top, right, right here on the Blu-ray packaging, mm-hmm. unauthorized documentary. Oh. The documentary about the footage they don't want you to see. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> see? It's, it's unauthorized, oh. but somehow it made it onto the Blu-ray, and they yes. even were able to sneak the wording onto the packaging, even that's, though it's unauthorized. That's pretty... Somewhere there's a 15-year-old kid going, do you think it's really unauthorized? <laughs> I remember years ago. I remember years ago. There, there was okay. Maybe you remember this. This is not. This is not related at all. But I just flashed on this. Mm-hmm. Years ago, there was a radio station <laughs> here in Los Angeles called Pirate Radio. Remember Pirate Radio? Uh, Catalina. It was Pir- based in Catalina. Pirate Radio. Ninety-seven point one. They used to have these. Uh, I th- remember their their station ID would be like transmitting from a barge in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. It's Pirate Radio, and me and my friends would say. Do you really think they're transmitting from a barge? 
do they really not have permission to use this music? That thing was such a bust, Pirate Radio. It really was. They hired some hotshot DJ from San Francisco and paid him a million dollars, and uh, nothing happened. You know whose career is completely... I like Pirate Radio. Yeah, no, it was... You know, it was KQLZ. It, it, it was a bust. No, it was 100.3. It was 100.3. That's right, that's right. You're right. It was 100.3. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes... And who was the name of the um, that DJ? DJ? He was, he was like a Scott hot Shannon or something yeah, like that. Yeah, he was some some smarmy mouthed hotshot guy. Scott Shannon. There he goes. Good call. You know whose career is completely falling apart? Mine. As a as a comedian, Mine. Uh, Jim Carrey, the, Mr. Popper's freaking Penguins. Um, th- this has to be the most bizarre, totally misbegotten, misconstrued disaster comedy ever. This thing was on the shelf for I don't know how long. And then it was, uh, oh my gosh, Mark, look. Look at this horrible, horrible movie. On the cover, I have a DVD and a Blu-ray here. There's a pull quote right on the cover. Read the pull quote to the people. Hilarious and heartwarming. From Pete Hammond from Box Office Magazine. (laughs) We sort of write for Box Office Magazine, although we're not really sure. (laughs) Do we write for Box Office Magazine anymore? Uh, When you want to. It's it's on an as-wanted basis, I suppose. Well, wanted by who? By us or by Uh, them? who, Who knows? Um, it's the end of the year. I'm done seeing movies through the end of the year. I'm I not, really I, am. I'm I'm through. You know, that's the way it always is. We burn out for voting, and I'm done. I'm done. You know, I mean, I have to see a bunch of stuff still for this week's radio show on on KPCC. But but we've seen we've seen war we've seen everything already. We've seen Dragon Tattoo, I, I, War Horse. I, I had a few documentaries I had to watch. I had to watch like I think today the Look, which is uh you know that wasn't even sent to us for awards, which is the Charlotte Rampling doc. Is it about her? It's about her. It's Ooh. basically interviewing her and about her and clips from her movies, but there's nothing spectacular about it. Interesting. I'll talk about it on Friday. Anyway, uh, Mr. Popper's Penguins, Jim Carrey, just, it's not hilarious and heartwarming. With all due respect to Pete, it just isn't. It's just silly and trite and, and useless, and it wants to be a heartwarming movie, but it's absolutely crazy. And the only reason it was made was because Penguins were suddenly hot, because they were in not only Happy Feet and Happy Feet 2, but we had the Penguins in the... Uh, March of the Penguins. In the Madagascar films. And March, of the Pe- and March of the Penguins. So Penguins were hot, and they thought, mm, Jim Carrey, Penguins can't go wrong. No, you know what? It went wrong. See, but that's the irony yeah, at the end of The wrong. Descendants. Exactly. Remember, now, we, without giving it away, we, okay, spoiler alert about the ending of The Descendants. It's not a plot thing. It's just a funny little thing he does at the end. Spoiler alert, three, two, one. They're sitting on the couch in Hawaii, the hottest state of the Union. Yep. And what are they watching on TV? March of the Penguins. That's right. Uh, speaking of, okay, uh, we're done talking about the spoiler alert is over. But Oh, spoiler, uh, it's over. Three, two, over. one, over. No, anybody in L.A., uh, it's, it's probably sold out by now. But if it's not sold out, come on down to the uh, American Cinematheque Arrow Theater Wednesday night for uh, a uh, double feature of Alexander Payne movies, The Descendants, and Election. And in between the screenings, I will be moderating a Q&A with Alexander. How are you getting all these Q&As? Who calls you? Uh, the Cinematheque. Oh, so the Cinematheque called. Yeah, you. yeah. I did. I did. I did the uh, the Q and A on Sunday. Uh, right after we. Right. Oh, after, how was that? It was great. Right after we gave Emmanuel Lubetsky an unbelievably overwhelming uh, honor as best cinematographer for uh, Tree of Life. I then got to go to the Cinematheque for the Q and A after the screening of Tree of Life with him. Wonderful, just delightful. What a sweet guy. Really, really awesome. Yeah. And talked about working with you know Malik, and it's it's really interesting to hear how he sort of was able to get inside Malik's head after working with him on the New World. Just knows his process, knows what he wants, and what is what is Malik's process? What is what does Emmanuel say Malik's process is? He wants he 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 shot like two million feet of film on Tree of Life, <laughs> oh and it's all about just wanting to get the moment. 
just capture the moment. Just wants it to be spontaneous and real, and he just works it and, until he gets that little moment. So the, it's you have to just work with the natural light, and he doesn't, you know, don't worry about getting things set up and staging it. It's just let the let the reality happen, let it just transpire, and then there's going to be a magical moment somewhere there. And as long as the steady cam is right there, it's going to catch it. But I, I had read that Lubetsky didn't even read the script. There was no point. It was like, would you, no, he knew better. After after he, the New World, there was no point. He would just learn whatever the scene was that exactly. day, and he would just learn the that day's That's scene. That's it, precisely. Yep. Interesting. What's not interesting are these two animated films, which we will blow through. Um, you know, the LA Film Critics Association. We named Rango best animated film of the year. I loved Rango. I thought it was great. It's okay. All about the Rango. It's okay. Uh, but two of the films that didn't win. Or the Smurfs and Kung Fu Panda 2. Now, Kung Fu, Kung Fu Panda 2 is actually not that bad. And I liked Kung Fu Panda. I thought it was fine. Uh, the Smurfs, terrible. Now, the Smurfs is uh, in a Blu-ray 3D. So you need a, um, uh, the glasses and the TV, which means no one will be able to watch this. <laughs> no one's going to want to watch it. But it does, it does play in uh, a regular 2D, and it, it includes a DVD. So if you get this or you get it as a gift for Christmas, it's not like you can't watch it. Yeah. Uh, the Smurfs is obviously based on the um, cartoon, and, uh, you know, I, I just don't know what to say. Roger Gosnell is the director. He is sort of the go-to guy for um, cartoon adaptations, like live-action, cartoon, hybrid adaptations. He did the Scooby-Doo films. And, uh, you know, he, it's totally serviceable uh, as a director. He's totally whatever. Uh, but the film is not that funny, not cute. It tries to pander to the adults with uh, certain song choices and little inside jokes, but it just it just tired, doesn't work. Uh, Kung Fu Panda, uh, I kind of liked it. I thought it was I thought it was okay. You know, I mean, it number wasn't two, right? terrible. Yeah, the it wasn't sequel, terrible. Yeah. Um, really, the best animated film I've seen in the last couple of years, besides Rango, was How to Train Your Dragon. Those were the yeah. two I really liked. American. Let's let's say American. I don't know, non Pixar. Don't much, like, films. don't much like any of them. Wow. I got a couple of relationship movies here. Uh, one is The Art of Getting By, which was another Sundance, uh, fairly fairly popular at Sundance, with Freddie Highmore and Emma Roberts, who are both growing up rather quickly. Freddie Highmore, of course, remember from uh, from Charlie and from uh, you know Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and from uh, uh, Neverland, and you know he was like the hot British kid for a moment and a half, and he's not a kid anymore. Um, this is a this is a sweet teen romance film that's not at all conventional. I don't think it's entirely successful. I don't think it's it's a little threadbare in the in the in the narrative department. But the characters are charming, and Emma Roberts really has a huge future. I just I hope they I hope she and Freddie keep going in this direction. This is a, a great little uh, great little movie just about kind of you know finding your life and finding your love and finding your muse. Uh, what's not even remotely interesting is Friends with Benefits, which is basically the exact same movie as one that came out a few months earlier, the uh, the Ashton Kutcher thing, No Strings Attached. Which we saw, those Ashton, Ashton Kutcher and uh, uh, Natalie uh, Portman. Natalie Portman, which I don't know why she did that. It was after she won the Oscar. Uh, this is with uh, Justin Timberlake and Mila Kunis, who I really like a lot. I mean, I like both of them, but it's the same thing. You know, when, uh, when does friendship uh, begin and sex end and love begin and... So forth and so on, and you know, how do you have a sexual relationship that doesn't lead to romance and love and commitment? Blah 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 blah, all that fun stuff. Um, 
you know, this is just straight up formulaic nonsense. The only thing that I found interesting about this is is Woody Harrelson playing a a gay coworker of uh, Justin Timberlake's, who is the most non stereotypical gay guy you will ever see in a movie, uh, which was really refreshing. And uh, I thought Woody just chewed it up. It was the only thing that I thoroughly enjoyed in this movie. It's on Blu-ray. Uh, you know, whatever, rent it if you have to. Um, it, was, but- it was a bit disappointing because the guy who directed Friends with Benefits also directed Easy A. And Easy A is a terrific movie. Yeah. Did you not like Easy A? I, I like Easy A, but oh, that's terrific. But, but that was, that was, was Emma Stone's coming out party. It was great. Absolutely, but I just don't know that it was it was his doing. It was an Emma Stone thing. It was her magic, you know. Uh, the Devil's Double uh, features an amazing performance by Dominic Cooper. Uh, the uh, this is just such an odd film though. Lee Tamahori, who of course you know did uh, Once Were Warriors, coming out of New Zealand, and then made a whole bunch of bad movies in Hollywood. Uh, including one really catastrophically bad uh, James Bond film, uh, it, he tries to return to form here. The problem is because he's using this this heavily choreographed digital camera system, so that Dominic Cooper can play two parts simultaneously on screen. Uh, it makes everything feel less spontaneous than it should be. It feels very staged, very choreographed. You can tell that they're kind of beholden to the technology. That being said, the story is amazing. This is the true story of a guy, based on the actual guy's memoirs, of a guy who was recruited to be the public double for um, Saddam Hussein's son, Uday, who is the crazy one. Uday was the lunatic, right? The one who would, like, you know, shoot soccer players if they didn't perform well and all that kind of nonsense. And because Saddam had his own doubles that would appear, you know, at public appearances, uh, Uday figured, I want one. So he pulls this poor guy off the street and uh, says, you're now going to basically be my slave. You're you're my double, and you're going to go and make speeches. And it's true. He would make public speeches. People thought it was Uday. It was this guy. Uh, so Dominic Cooper plays the guy. It is it is a chilling story. It is a horrific story. It is really freaking violent and bloody. But, um, again, it's not as good as it should be, which is really disappointing. But that being said, it's a terrific Blu-ray uh, transfer. Um, Lionsgate's releasing it. They're doing more and more uh, with their Blu-ray transfers. Very, very sharp. It's got a few featurettes and a uh, commentary by Lee Tamahori that's just kind of phoning it in. But, uh, you know, I'd say at least a rental. It, I, I mean, I don't dislike the film. Wait, we got some Criterions. Wait, don't forget the Criterions before we say goodbye. Oh no, no, we're gonna we'll jump into them. We got uh, we, well, let's let's do some old movies. I got a few other new movies to nail, but we'll we'll cover the old movies. Mark, go ahead and uh, hit that Criterion. Hit oh, that Criterion. Oh, I'll hit that Criterion. Um, what we have first, ladies and germs, from Criterion Blu-ray is uh, the Lady Vanishes. Now, this is not the, of course, the 1979 remake. This is the original Lady Vanishes. This is Alfred Hitchcock. And uh, this is a terrific film with um, – it's from 1938. It's, uh, it's, of course, based on a novel, not called The Lady, Lady Vanishes, and uh, it's great. It's got a cast of mostly people mostly people we you know, you nece- maybe necessarily haven't heard of, Margaret Lockwood, Michael Redgrave. Uh, you know, although Michael Redgrave starred in uh, – did Michael Redgrave start in Peeping Tom? Yes. Was that him? Yes, I, th- I think so. Yes. I love that movie. Of the, uh, the great Redgrave clan. Yes. Anyway, uh, the the Hitchcock version differs a lot from the novel, but who cares? It's still pretty great. Because who's read the novel? Nobody. Um, but it's a great movie. It's just a terrific movie. It's um, you know it's funny and because the thing with with Hitchcock is that I think this is one of his more comicy thrillers. Because after a while, Hitchcock was yeah. not that much of a comic guy. I mean, he, no. you know, I mean, Psycho's not funny, and you know, no, the birds it, aren't funny. Vertigo. This, this is much is one, more of a comic thriller. It's one of his better British films. Yes, before he came to America. Yeah, yeah. 
because uh, we're talking because it's it's funny with with Hitchcock is that you really do people really do break up his career yeah. into two halves the British half and the American half yep so uh, you know British half strangers on a train your lady vanishes. Well, Strangers on a Train is the American half. No, that's the American half. Yeah, no, it, it's it's stuff like Saboteur and that's Sabotage. It. That's and, it. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. it. Um, but anyway, this is good stuff. It looks great. It's got a bunch of uh, special features, uh, including an audio commentary by uh, Bruce uh, Eder. Eder? Is it Eder? Eder. Eder. Is it Eder? Yeah. He does a lot of Criterion. Um, uh, Always good. Yeah. He, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, commentaries. Uh, art galleries, a video essay, excerpts from uh, trans, uh, from Truffaut's 1982 audio interview with Hitchcock, which is great. Yeah. Good stuff from Criterion. You know, um, an amazing Criterion release here is something I never expected them to release. This is Designed for Living, which is a 1933 Ernst Lubitsch film uh, based on a Noel Coward play adapted by Ben Hecht. Uh, how do you get any better than that? Lubitsch, Hecht, Noel Coward, unbelievable. I'll tell you how you get better with the cast. Frederick March, Miriam Hopkins, and a Gary Cooper who is so young, he almost looks like uh, it, 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 it looks like a child. It's amazing how young and smooth he is. The manly looks aren't there yet. He's just like a young boy. Uh, but really, actually, a pretty terrific film. It's kind of a you know, it's a it's a comedic uh, love triangle farce with these three Americans in Paris. And because it is a pre-code film from 1933, it uh, gets to be a little bit more risque as per the. Uh, uh, the play than it would probably have been able to just a year and a half or two years later. Uh, also, Edward Everett Horton shows up. We love Edward Everett Horton because Edward Everett Horton is perhaps better known to you as Mr. Peabody. He is, of course, the voice of Mr. Peabody in all of those cartoons. But he's, he's cool. A, he's a ter- terrific actor, great voice. Uh, this is lovely. This is on Blu-ray, a great transfer, sparkling black and white, silvery, shimmery, transferred from pristine elements. Uh, you just can't get any better than this. And tons of extras, including uh, The Clerk, which uh, was this Charles Lawton um, thing that was directed by Lubitsch uh, as part of an omnibus film in 1932. And um, a British television production of uh, Design for Living from 1964, which was even uh, has an even introduction for, uh, has an introduction from Noel Coward, and uh, our good friend Joe McBride is interviewed on here talking about Lubitsch and uh, how they adapted the play and all that. Joe McBride, of course, is uh, just a terrific guy and was really helpful in our wonderful documentary Schlock: The Secret History of American Movies, which I'm going to plug at every opportunity on this show. Yes, I can tell. Give me, Damn give me. Right. Design for living. Yes, design for living. I'll give it back. Uh, Torah, Torah, Torah is a. Um, this is an interesting. Uh, uh, I saw this when I was five. <laughs> this is an interesting uh, Blu-ray. This is a movie about uh, Pearl Harbor and the, um, the the American blunders that made it happen. This is from 1970. It's a very good film. It's uh, actually directed by. It actually has a couple directors. There's a Japanese director and an American director. The American director being Richard Fleischer. And uh, for those who don't know uh, Richard Fleischer, he uh, directed stuff like um, the jazz, you know, the remake of the Jazz Singer, you know, uh, Soil and Green, you know. So totally. he, yeah, so he's Doctor Doolittle, so he's definitely done some stuff. But um, Martin Balsam, very good in this film, and uh, it's terrific. You know, it's pretty thorough. It's, it it beats up the Americans in terms of uh, you know really what. The Americans knew and and what and what they did in Pearl Harbor to try to blunt the attack once they found out about it. Um, now there's a commentary here by Richard Fleischer, which is great. Uh, there's a documentary about uh, you know about Pearl Harbor. Um, this particular version of Torah 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 or Torah Cubed, 
<laughs> Torah, it. Torah cubed. Uh, it comes in a little. It's, like a, it's a little booklet. Yeah, comes it's a little great. booklet. And it's, they, it's basically what what Warner Brothers pioneered. Everyone's trying to do they, the, they do the Blu-ray booklet thing. Yeah, now, I mean yeah. they do. Warner Brothers did this for uh, all the President's Men and some of the yeah. other films. Anyway, Torah, Torah, Torah. It's a terrific film. It's rated G. Way this is rated G. Well, you know what else? I know. Isn't that amazing? A, a war film rated G, <laughs> but yet it's not like a kids' film. It's a good movie. Oh, it is a good movie. And then we got a couple of amazing classics here, uh, and I'm kind of thrilled and very heartened that they went and did this. 20th Century Fox has given us a Blu-ray DVD combo of Stars and Stripes Forever, um, and this is amazing. This has never been on DVD or on Blu-ray before, so this is a real find. This is uh, really nice that they've gone ahead and do this. If you haven't seen it, this is the uh, classic old film starring Clifton Webb as John Philip Sousa. And John Philip Sousa, the famous, you know, bandman and composer of all that great patriotic music that we hear on the 4th of July and, and at no point uh, during any other part of the year. Henry Coster directed it. It's a straight-up good, solid biopic, nothing, uh, you know, spla- overly splashy, nothing, uh, nothing bad. It's just really a lot of fun, a good, wholesome film for the kids and for the whole family, and it'll make you feel really patriotic. Really good. Uh, the two discs, of course, are the Blu-ray on one disc, the DVD on the other. And uh, there's a few other little, uh, you know, kind of educational behind-the-scenes things uh, thrown on the, uh, the Blu-ray. And then we have an unbelievable Blu-ray, an unbelievable, phenomenal Blu-ray of Meet Me in St. Louis with Judy Garland. Uh, anyone that knows me knows that uh, Judy Garland is like a goddess to me. I just I can't get enough Judy Garland. And this is so cool. This is a straight-up... Uh, we were just talking about the Blu-ray booklets, and this is one of the best. This is uh, exactly what Warner Brothers does well, and they had so many archival materials. I don't know how they just crammed all this in. The only thing that's a little bit of a chintz is that there's a CD sampler here that has four songs on it. Honestly, for the amount of money you pay for this Blu-ray, they should have thrown in the whole soundtrack. They really should have. Uh, that would have just been the classy thing to do. Anyway, Liza Minnelli does an introduction, and then there's a great audio commentary here that includes uh, just about everybody from uh, Garland's biographer, John Fricke, to Margaret O'Brien, all grown up, and composer, and you know, it, it's, it's really everybody weighing in and giving you a great sense of the movie. Uh, and a uh, Lux Radio Theater broadcast of Meet Me in St. Louis as well. It is wonderful. This is the this is a film you absolutely have to get right now, especially in the holidays, because why? This is the movie in which the Irving Berlin film, uh, the Irving Berlin song, uh, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, debuted. So Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, sung right here in Meet Me in St. Louis. You know, Judy Garland had a lot of Merry Christmases. You know why? Because she would pop pills. Oh. I know. Judy Garland was a, r- a rather troubled... Lady, and her and her daughter, Liza Minnelli, even more troubled. Mark, let's wrap out with a few uh, newer films that uh, people should be aware of, since they're all going to. Well, some may be kind of in Oscar contention in some categories. Uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes uh, is the uh, reboot of the uh, Apes franchise. This is, of course, after Tim Burton completely screwed up his relaunch. And uh, they hired Rupert Wyatt, who was the director who did a film I liked a lot, um, the one with Brian Cox. The uh, oh, um, what's it called? The one with uh, Brian Cox, the, uh, the the, uh, the the machinist, the mechanic, the, the, uh, the, the yeah, the the the, the, the ma- yeah, that one. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> you don't know. The, what no, I'm it's, it's about. like the it, not the mechanic, but it's the, the uh, yeah. it's the something. Wait, yeah, I'm I telling know. you. Wait, here's what it is. It is the escapist. That's it. So it was it was kind of a controversial uh, choice uh, because we're running out of time here. Keep not, it march on. He's not a super action guy, but uh, I had problems with this film, but I kind of came out on the good side of it. 
I think it's actually okay. Um, J- uh, James Franco, not very good. Frida Pinto, totally wasted. But um, I did like some of the ape stuff at the end. I like I like how they took the evolution of this ape, main ape. They took his story seriously. Uh, they charted a nice long arc for it, him, it, her, whatever yeah. it is. And, uh, Andy Circus doing the uh, the physical performing for the ape because that's all he does now is golems and apes. I know, really. And, and King Kong. Yeah. And uh, he did a good job. You know what? And so I think the film is kind of problematic in certain ways, uh, but I think in the end it was okay. Um, uh, John Meh. Lithgow has a, has a thankless task of playing an Alzheimer-afflicted father. Uh, father who sort of triggers the entire uh, story. Yeah, I didn't like it. Um, too much CGI, too much motion capture. Didn't like it. That is true. Disc 1 uh, has a lot of uh, stuff. 11 deleted, uh, 11 deleted scenes. It's funny. In a film that did seem a little short, mm. uh, these deleted scenes are kind of important. Um, uh, there's something on Andy Serkis and the great job that he did. There's a scene breakdown, which is kind of interesting. And uh, there's some stuff on um, uh, the composer. I always enjoy uh, extras about the composer, Patrick Doyle. That's good stuff. So, uh, and it looks great. looks great on Blu-ray. Because you know what? It's all CGI. So, of course, it looks great. So, anyway, problematic film. Uh, not perfect, but um, I liked it. The Help looks like it's going to wind up being something of, uh, of an Oscar contender. It is, uh, it is schmaltzy, and it's sort of, you know, look, it's based on a, on a novel that really appeals entirely to people who watch The View and nobody else. Uh, that being said, Tate Taylor does a very, very good job uh, giving this thing a real lustrous sheen, a good, nice period sheen, and making it feel like a Steel Magnolia's crossed with Driving Miss Daisy for a uh, post-9-11 generation, and that's exactly what it is. It's all about the uh, 1960s South and the racial divisions between the women, the white women who have servants and the black women who are their servants. And it tries to make it heartwarming and to bridge the gap between the races and the classes and whatever. Uh, I appreciate what it tries to do. I just don't like the way it does it. And I'm not too fond of the way that it kind of tries to rewrite history in, in, a, in, a, in a rose-colored way. But nonetheless, those are my problems, not yours. It is a sweet film. It's very well acted and uh, has some great performances in it by, uh, you know, some of the top actresses of the day. And a lot of them are going to get uh, probably get Academy Award nominations. Viola Davis is almost certain to get a nomination. Uh, and I'd even say that uh, um, Emma Stone may even get a nomination out of this as well. But anyway, uh, give it a look. Um, there's also, uh, it, worth noting, we gave um, our uh, Supporting Actress Award from Lafka to um, Jessica Chastain. No, 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 no. We gave it to Jessica Chastain and the 16 films she did in 2011. Yeah, including this one. Anyway. Uh, so, that being said, uh, check it out. Don't buy it. I'd say rent it, just so that you're abreast of what's going on. And uh, with that, we are out of time, but we will be back next week with another pile of movies and... Uh, you know, we're going to have to do some kind of a yearly wrap-out show. So go ahead and email us at gods at digigods.com and tell us how you want, what, what you want to know about uh, wrapping out the year. Because summing up the best DVDs of the year, the best Blu-rays, is just such a tall order. Uh, we'd like to do something a little different this year. So go ahead and send us your suggestions of what you would like to see for a, a year-end wrap-out. Recommendations, uh, you know, or just go down the worst or most offensive extras. I don't know, anything. If you have any ideas, send them to us, gods at digigods.com. We'll see you next week.